As we concluded volume one of this commentary, we heard the great prophet Abinadi bearing his testimony as he was being burned to death by the wicked priests of King Noah. But one of those wicked priests was suddenly pricked in his heart by the words of Abinadi, and after Abinadi had perished, this priest, whose name was Alma, went into a solitary place where he could write down everything he could remember from the teachings of Abinadi. Now this brings us to volume two of our commentary. Mosiah chapter 18. It is interesting that as soon as Alma had finished the recording of the teachings of Abinadi, he risked his life to move quietly among the people. The record says, And now it came to pass that Alma, who had fled from the servants of King Noah, repented of his sins and iniquities, and went about privately among the people and began to teach the words of Abinadi. Yea, concerning that which was to come, and also concerning the resurrection of the dead, and the redemption of the people, which was to be brought to pass through the power and sufferings and death of Christ, and his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And as many as would hear his word, he did teach, and he taught them privately, that it might not come to the knowledge of the king. And many did believe his words. In spite of the risk of betrayal to the king, it is interesting that a considerable number of people believed what Alma had to say concerning the teachings of Abinadi. In order to hold regular meetings, they met some distance from the city of Lehi-Nephi at the waters of Mormon. And it came to pass that as many as did believe him did go forth to a place which was called Mormon, having received its name from the king, being in the borders of the land, having been infested by times or at seasons by wild beasts. Now there was in Mormon a fountain of pure water, and Alma resorted thither, there being near the water a thicket of small trees, where he did hide himself in the daytime from the searches of the king. And it came to pass that as many as believed him went thither to hear his words. We know that the waters of Mormon were quite some distance from the city of Lehi-Nephi because some time later an apostate group built a large city there called Jerusalem. This city is referred to in Alma 21 verses 1 and 2 as being built on the borders of Mormon. It appears that about this time Alma began to enjoy the ministering of angels. We know this from the fact that in verse 18 we read that he had received the holy priesthood. Alma 5 and 3 says he had been ordained a high priest to preside over the church, and he used this authority from God to ordain other priests. We also learn that he knew how to initiate the ordinance of baptism. This included the procedure by which he would be baptized himself when there was no authority to do it for him. According to verse 17, he was taught how to set up the church of God or church of Christ, and all of these things came to him by direct revelation while he was in the thicket near the waters of Mormon. And it came to pass, after many days, there were a goodly number gathered together at the place of Mormon to hear the words of Alma. Yea, all were gathered together that believed on his word to hear him, and he did teach them and did preach unto them repentance and redemption and faith on the Lord. 
Alma had taught this gathering of believers the importance of repentance and the making of a covenant with God through baptism. When he felt they were properly prepared, he gathered them together and gave them a very special message. And it came to pass that he said unto them, Behold, here are the waters of Mormon, for thus were they called. And now, as ye are desirous to come into the fold of God, and to be called his people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens, that they may be light, yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn, yea, and comfort those that stand in need of comfort, and to stand as witnesses of God at all times and in all things, and in all places that ye may be in, even until death, that ye may be redeemed of God, and be numbered with those of the first resurrection, that ye may have eternal life. Now I say unto you, If this be the desire of your hearts, what have you against being baptized in the name of the Lord as a witness before him that ye have entered into a covenant with him, that ye will serve him and keep his commandments, that he may pour out his Spirit more abundantly upon you. And now, when the people had heard these words, they clapped their hands for joy and exclaimed, This is the desire of our hearts. Alma had stated in these few verses the inspired covenants which the newly baptized members of the church are making. And now it came to pass that Alma took Helam, he being one of the first, and went and stood forth in the water, and cried, saying, O Lord, pour out thy Spirit upon thy servant, that he may do this work with holiness of heart. And when he had said these words, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he said, Helam, I baptize thee, having authority from the Almighty God, as a testimony that ye have entered into a covenant to serve him, until you are dead as to the mortal body. And may the Spirit of the Lord be poured out upon you, and may he grant unto you eternal life through the redemption of Christ, whom he has prepared from the foundation of the world. And after Alma had said these words, both Alma and Helam were buried in the water, and they arose and came forth out of the water rejoicing, being filled with the Spirit. When a new dispensation of the gospel is being introduced, the Lord inspires his servants to follow a procedure which is acceptable to the Lord. In this case, Alma baptized himself at the same time he baptized Helam. Thereafter, according to verse 15, he baptized each individual without being immersed himself. A portrayal of Alma baptizing at the waters of Mormon will be found in Treasures from the Book of Mormon, volume 2, page 108. And again, Alma took another and went forth a second time into the water and baptized him according to the first, only he did not bury himself again in the water. And after this manner, he did baptize every one that went forth to the place of Mormon. And they were in number about two hundred and four souls. Yea, and they were baptized in the waters of Mormon and were filled with the grace of God. And they were called the church of God, or the church of Christ, from that time forward. And it came to pass 
that whosoever was baptized by the power and authority of God was added to his church. And thus a total of 204 persons were baptized, and Alma organized them into a congregation which was called the Church of God or the Church of Christ. And it came to pass that Alma, having authority from God, ordained priests. Even one priest to every fifty of their number did he ordain to preach unto them, and to teach them concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It is apparent that the organization of the church was very simple, with one priest to be responsible for teaching and governing every fifty people. And he commanded them that they should teach nothing, save it were the things which he had taught, and which had been spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets. Yea, even he commanded them that they should preach nothing, save it were repentance and faith on the Lord, who had redeemed his people. And he commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one towards another. And thus he commanded them to preach, and thus they became the children of God. To keep the teachings of the prophet entirely accurate, Alma required that the priests restrict themselves to precisely what Abinadi had taught. Actually, Abinadi had been very profound in teaching the principles of the gospel, and a novice might easily get off track. Alma therefore encouraged the priests to emphasize the basics, repentance, and the need to be worthy of the redemption of mankind through the atonement of Jesus Christ. He further admonished them to avoid contention and love one another. And he commanded them that they should observe the Sabbath day, and keep it holy. And also every day they should give thanks to the Lord their God. And he also commanded them that the priests whom he had ordained should labor with their own hands for their support. And there was one day in every week that was set apart that they should gather themselves together to teach the people and to worship the Lord their God, and also, as often as it was in their power, to assemble themselves together. Notice the Lord's emphasis on meeting together often to discuss the gospel and increase their understanding of its principles. And the priests were not to depend upon the people for their support, but for their labor they were to receive the grace of God, that they might wax strong in the Spirit, having the knowledge of God, that they might teach with power and authority from God. Alma made it clear that the priests were to earn their own living and not to depend upon the people for their subsistence. He also stressed the need for the priests to study diligently so that they could teach with power and authority from God. The Lord has promised that when teachers are well prepared, the Spirit of the Lord will confirm the truth of their message in the hearts of those who listen. This is set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 11, verse 21. It is interesting that when the gospel was restored in modern times, all of the policies set forth by Alma were carefully followed in setting up the church in the latter days. And again, Alma commanded that the people of the church 
should impart of their substance, every one according to that which he had. If he have more abundantly, he should impart more abundantly, and of him that had but little, but little should be required, and to him that had not should be given. And thus they should impart of their substance of their own free will and good desires towards God. And to those priests that stood in need, yea, and to every needy naked soul. And this he said unto them, having been commanded of God, and they did walk uprightly before God, imparting to one another both temporally and spiritually, according to their needs and their wants. With Alma it was basic that the members of the church be a caring people who were willing to share their substance with those in need. And now it came to pass that all this was done in Mormon, yea, by the waters of Mormon, in the forest that was near the waters of Mormon. Yea, the place of Mormon, the waters of Mormon, the forest of Mormon. How beautiful are they to the eyes of them who there came to the knowledge of their Redeemer. Yea, and how blessed are they, for they shall sing to his praise forever. And these things were done in the borders of the land, that they might not come to the knowledge of the king. As people from the city of Lehi-Nephi were invited to come to the waters of Mormon and be taught the gospel, it seemed like a new and beautiful experience. But as their numbers increased, they began to be extremely careful lest the king discover their place of meeting. But behold, it came to pass that the king, having discovered a movement among the people, sent his servants to watch them. Therefore on the day that they were assembling themselves together to hear the word of the Lord, they were discovered unto the king. And now the king said that Alma was stirring up the people to rebellion against him, therefore he sent his army to destroy them. The very thing the people feared came to pass. The king's spies followed some of the members of the church and found out where they were meeting. And it came to pass that Alma and the people of the Lord were apprised of the coming of the king's army. Therefore they took their tents and their families and departed into the wilderness. And they were in number about four hundred and fifty souls. The advantage of having a prophet is to be warned in advance of pending dangers. When Alma was told by the Lord that the king's army was planning to raid their settlement at the waters of Mormon, all of the congregation quickly organized themselves with their flocks and possessions so they could escape into the mountain wilderness just north of their meeting place. The record says that as Alma and his congregation departed, they numbered a total of 450 souls. Mosiah chapter 19 We need to remind ourselves that the mountain wilderness just north of the waters of Mormon extended from coast to coast. It had kept the Nephites separated from the people of Zarahemla for approximately 350 years. It was so rugged that a whole army could get lost in its deep canyons after only a day or two of travel. Now it was into this formidable wilderness that Alma had disappeared with his 450 Christian refugees. And it came to pass that the army of the king returned, having searched in vain for the people of the Lord. 
It is not until chapter 23 that we learn what had happened to Alma and his followers. They actually were not too far distant, only eight days' travel, but in these mountains that was enough to give them a temporary sanctuary, and the army of King Noah therefore returned to Lehi-Nephi without finding them. And now behold, the forces of the king were small, having been reduced, and there began to be a division among the remainder of the people. And the lesser part began to breathe out threatenings against the king, and there began to be a great contention among them. It is apparent that civil war was threatening to break out against the king and his administrations almost immediately after Alma and his people departed. We don't know whether the burning of the prophet Abinadi or the general disgust of the people against their drunken rulers had caused the uprising, but it was such a violent revolution that those who wanted to overthrow King Noah rallied around a powerful new leader called Gideon. And now there was a man among them whose name was Gideon, and he being a strong man and an enemy to the king, therefore he drew his sword and swore in his wrath that he would slay the king. And it came to pass that he fought with the king. And when the king saw that he was about to overpower him, he fled and ran and got upon the tower which was near the temple. The very fact that Gideon felt justified in trying to slay the king is sufficient evidence that a whole segment of the people were determined to rid themselves of Noah and his priests. A portrayal of Gideon pursuing King Noah to the top of the tower near the temple will be found in Treasures from the Book of Mormon, Volume 2, page 113. And Gideon pursued after him and was about to get upon the tower to slay the king. And the king cast his eyes round about towards the land of Shemlin. And behold, the army of the Lamanites were within the borders of the land. And now the king cried out in the anguish of his soul, saying, Gideon, spare me, for the Lamanites are upon us, and they will destroy us. Yea, they will destroy my people. But the cowardly Noah did not lead his people against the Lamanites at all. He ordered the Nephites to flee for their lives, and he was the head of the pack as they raced out of the city. And now the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was about his own life. Nevertheless, Gideon did spare his life. And the king commanded the people that they should flee before the Lamanites. And he himself did go before them, and they did flee into the wilderness with their women and their children. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did pursue them, and did overtake them, and began to slay them. Now it came to pass that the king commanded them that all the men should leave their wives and their children and flee before the Lamanites. The complete decadence of the king was reflected in his command to have the men forsake the women and children. Now there were many that would not leave them, but had rather stay and perish with them. And the rest left their wives and their children and fled. And it came to pass that those who tarried with their wives and their children caused that their fair daughters should stand forth and plead with the Lamanites that they would not slay them. And it came to pass that the Lamanites had compassion on them, for they were charmed with the beauty of their women. 
The strategy of having the young Nephite women and girls plead with the Lamanites to spare their lives was at least sufficiently successful to stop the bloodshed. But the ransom the people would have to pay for their lives was half of everything they owned. At this point, we're introduced to one of the king's sons named Limhi, who is described as a just man in contrast to the conduct of his father. Therefore the Lamanites did spare their lives, and took them captives, and carried them back to the land of Nephi, and granted unto them that they might possess the land, under the conditions that they would deliver up King Noah into the hands of the Lamanites, and deliver up their property, even one half of all they possessed, one half of their gold, and their silver, and all their precious things, and thus they should pay tribute to the king of the Lamanites from year to year. Now there was one of the sons of the king among those that were taken captive, whose name was Limhi. And now Limhi was desirous that his father should not be destroyed. Nevertheless, Limhi was not ignorant of the iniquities of his father, he himself being a just man. The commander Gideon knew the king might try to regain his throne and further complicate the temporary peace they had negotiated with the Lamanites. Therefore he sent out secret agents to locate the king and arrest him or slay him. But they ran into a body of men, who were the husbands and fathers that Noah had induced to forsake their families, and they had quite a story to tell. And it came to pass that Gideon sent men into the wilderness secretly to search for the king and those that were with him. And it came to pass that they met the people in the wilderness, all save the king and his priests. Now they had sworn in their hearts that they would return to the land of Nephi, and if their wives and their children were slain, and also those that had tarried with them, that they would seek revenge and also perish with them. And the king commanded them that they should not return, and they were angry with the king, and caused that he should suffer even unto death by fire. And they were about to take the priests also and put them to death, and they fled before them. So the king had been burned by fire, and the priests had fled further into the wilderness. A portrayal of Noah being burned alive will be found in Volume 2 of Treasures from the Book of Mormon, page 114. And it came to pass that they were about to return to the land of Nephi, and they met the men of Gideon. And the men of Gideon told them of all that had happened to their wives and their children, and that the Lamanites had granted unto them that they might possess the land by paying a tribute to the Lamanites of one half of all they possessed. And the people told the men of Gideon that they had slain the king, and his priests had fled from them farther into the wilderness. And it came to pass that after they had ended the ceremony, that they returned to the land of Nephi rejoicing, because their wives and their children were not slain. And they told Gideon what they had done to the king. It is interesting that the exchange of news between the men of Gideon and the returning husbands and fathers who had slain the king is described as, quote, a ceremony, unquote. Apparently somebody had restored order so they could each tell their stories without everyone trying to talk at once. Then they returned to the city. 
And it came to pass that the king of the Lamanites made an oath unto them that his people should not slay them. This is an important verse. By getting the king of the Lamanites to take an oath that the Lamanites would maintain the peace so long as the Nephites paid their tribute, allowed a certain amount of much-needed rest and stability among the people. And also Limhi, being the son of the king, having the kingdom conferred upon him by the people, made oath unto the king of the Lamanites that his people should pay tribute unto him even one half of all they possessed. After Limhi had been made king of the Nephites and ratified the contract with the Lamanites, everything settled down for the time being. And it came to pass that Limhi began to establish the kingdom and to establish peace among his people. And the king of the Lamanites set guards round about the land, that he might keep the people of Limhi in the land, that they might not depart into the wilderness. And he did support his guards out of the tribute which he did receive from the Nephites. Of course, the Lamanites had a good thing going for themselves, and guards were set up around the Nephites to make certain they did not escape. And now King Limhi did have continual peace in his kingdom for the space of two years, that the Lamanites did not molest them nor seek to destroy them. Mosiah chapter 20 One of the Nephite cities the Lamanites had taken over after Mosiah took the more righteous Nephites up north and discovered Zarahemla was a city named Shemlon. This is where our story continues. Now there was a place in Shemlon where the daughters of the Lamanites did gather themselves together to sing and to dance and to make themselves merry. And it came to pass that there was one day a small number of them gathered together to sing and to dance. We learn from verse 5 that the number of girls was 24. A portrayal of the Lamanite dancing girls will be found in Treasures from the Book of Mormon, volume 2, page 116. And now the priests of King Noah, being ashamed to return to the city of Nephi, yea, and also fearing that the people would slay them, therefore they durst not return to their wives and their children. And having tarried in the wilderness, and having discovered the daughters of the Lamanites, they laid and watched them. And when there were but few of them gathered together to dance, they came forth out of their secret places and took them and carried them into the wilderness. Yea, twenty and four of the daughters of the Lamanites they carried into the wilderness. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites found that their daughters had been missing, they were angry with the people of Limhi, for they thought it was the people of Limhi. Therefore they sent their armies forth. Yea, even the king himself went before his people, and they went up to the land of Nephi to destroy the people of Limhi. Of course, King Limhi would have no knowledge of the kidnapping of the Lamanite girls, and since the Nephites were paying their tribute regularly, it was puzzling that he could see from the tower near the temple that the Lamanites were coming to make war on the Nephites. And now Limhi had discovered them from the tower. Even all their preparations for war did he discover. Therefore he gathered his people together and laid wait for them in the fields and in the forests. And it came to pass that when the Lamanites had come up, that the people of Limhi began to fall upon them from their waiting places and began to slay them. 
and it came to pass that the battle became exceeding sore, for they fought like lions for their prey. And it came to pass that the people of Limhi began to drive the Lamanites before them, yet they were not half so numerous as the Lamanites, but they fought for their lives, and for their wives, and for their children. Therefore they exerted themselves, and like dragons did they fight. And it came to pass that they found the king of the Lamanites among the number of their dead. Yet he was not dead, having been wounded, and left upon the ground, so speedy was the flight of his people. This was a fortunate development for the simple reason that King Limhi and the Nephites could now learn why the Lamanites had made this attack. And they took him and bound up his wounds and brought him before Limhi and said, Behold, here is the king of the Lamanites. He, having received a wound, has fallen among their dead, and they have left him. And behold, we have brought him before you, and now let us slay him. But Limhi said unto them, Ye shall not slay him, but bring him hither, that I may see him. And they brought him. And Limhi said unto him, What cause have ye to come up to war against my people? Behold, my people have not broken the oath that I made unto you. Therefore why should ye break the oath which ye made unto my people? And now the king said, I have broken the oath because thy people did carry away the daughters of my people. Therefore in my anger I did cause my people to come up to war against thy people. And now Limhi had heard nothing concerning this matter. Therefore he said, I will search among my people, and whosoever has done this thing shall perish. Therefore he caused a search to be made among his people. The fact that some of the Nephites would kidnap twenty-four of the Lamanite girls did not make sense to Gideon. He thought he had a good idea who had actually done it. Now when Gideon had heard these things, he being the king's captain, he went forth and said unto the king, I pray thee, forbear, and do not search this people, and lay not this thing to their charge. For do ye not remember the priests of thy father, whom this people sought to destroy? And are they not in the wilderness? And are not they the ones who have stolen the daughters of the Lamanites? And now behold, and tell the king of these things, that he may tell his people, that they may be pacified towards us. For behold, they are already preparing to come against us. And behold also, there are but few of us. And behold, they come with their numerous hosts. And except the king doth pacify them towards us, we must perish. For are not the words of Abinadi fulfilled, which he prophesied against us? And all this because we would not hearken unto the words of the Lord, and turn from our iniquities. And now let us pacify the king, and we fulfill the oath which we have made unto him. For it is better that we should be in bondage, than that we should lose our lives. Therefore let us put a stop to the shedding of so much blood. And now Limhi told the king, all the things concerning his father and the priests that had fled into the wilderness, and attributed the carrying away of their daughters to them. King Limhi must have been very persuasive as he related to the king of the Lamanites all of the circumstances that led to the flight of his father and the priests into the wilderness, and how his father had been killed. But the priests, of course, had remained in the wilderness. 
King Limhi said he felt quite certain it was indeed these priests who had kidnapped the twenty-four Lamanite girls. And it came to pass that the king was pacified towards his people, and he said unto them, Let us go forth to meet my people without arms, and I swear unto you with an oath that my people shall not slay thy people. And it came to pass that they followed the king, and went forth without arms to meet the Lamanites. And it came to pass that they did meet the Lamanites, and the king of the Lamanites did bow himself down before them, and did plead in behalf of the people of Limhi. And when the Lamanites saw the people of Limhi, that they were without arms, they had compassion on them, and were pacified towards them, and returned with their king in peace to their own land. The king of the Lamanites knew of the hostile feelings of his people, both for the kidnapping of the girls and the number of Lamanites who had been slain by the Nephites. It was therefore he who suggested that King Limhi and the Nephite officers go unarmed to negotiate with the Lamanites and convince them that none of them had kidnapped the daughters of the Lamanites. The Lamanite king said that if they would do this, he would take an oath that none of them would be hurt. Mosiah chapter 21 It was about this time that the Nephites learned what it meant to be subjected to all of the abuse and indignities of bondage as predicted by Abinadi. And it came to pass that Limhi and his people returned to the city of Nephi and began to dwell in the land again in peace. And it came to pass that after many days the Lamanites began again to be stirred up in anger against the Nephites, and they began to come into the borders of the land round about. Now they durst not slay them because of the oath which their king had made unto Limhi, but they would smite them on their cheeks and exercise authority over them and began to put heavy burdens upon their backs and drive them as they would a dumb ass. Yea, all this was done that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled. And now the afflictions of the Nephites were great, and there was no way that they could deliver themselves out of their hands, for the Lamanites had surrounded them on every side. The persecution and virtual slavery of the Nephites finally became so unbearable that they decided it would be worthwhile to wage war for their freedom. And it came to pass that the people began to murmur with the king because of their afflictions, and they began to be desirous to go against them to battle, and they did afflict the king sorely with their complaints. Therefore he granted unto them that they should do according to their desires. And they gathered themselves together again, and put on their armor, and went forth against the Lamanites to drive them out of their land. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did beat them, and drove them back, and slew many of them. It is obvious that this fight for freedom was no small skirmish, it involved thousands on both sides in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And now there was a great mourning and lamentation among the people of Limhi, the widow mourning for her husband, the son and the daughter mourning for their father, and the brothers for their brethren. Now there were a great many widows in the land, and they did cry mightily from day to day, for a great fear of the Lamanites had come upon them. And it came to pass that their continual cries did stir up the remainder of the people of Limhi 
to anger against the Lamanites, and they went again to battle, but they were driven back again, suffering much loss. So now the Nephites had suffered their second defeat. Yea, they went again even the third time, and suffered in the like manner. And those that were not slain returned again to the city of Nephi. This was their third defeat, so that many more Nephite men were slaughtered, and their defeat was so overwhelming that the survivors were humbled down to the dust of the earth. And they did humble themselves even to the dust, subjecting themselves to the yoke of bondage, submitting themselves to be smitten, and to be driven to and fro, and burdened according to the desires of their enemies. And they did humble themselves even in the depths of humility, and they did cry mightily to God. Yea, even all the day long did they cry unto their God that he would deliver them out of their afflictions. And now the Lord was slow to hear their cry because of their iniquities. Nevertheless, the Lord did hear their cries, and began to soften the hearts of the Lamanites, that they began to ease their burdens. Yet the Lord did not see fit to deliver them out of bondage. Once the people had become reconciled to their humiliating task of being bondservants, and the Lamanites had treated them a little more like fellow human beings, it became possible for the Nephites to give half of everything they produced to the Lamanites and still save a little extra for themselves. And it came to pass that they began to prosper by degrees in the land and began to raise grain more abundantly and flocks and herds that they did not suffer with hunger. The huge number of widows and orphans forced King Limhi to work out some kind of welfare program for all these dependent families. This would not have been possible if the remaining Nephites had not begun to prosper a little, so they had something to share. Now there was a great number of women, more than there was of men. Therefore King Limhi commanded that every man should impart to the support of the widows and their children, that they might not perish with hunger. And this they did because of the greatness of their number that had been slain. Now the people of Limhi kept together in a body as much as it was possible, and secured their grain and their flocks, and the king himself did not trust his person without the walls of the city, unless he took his guards with him, fearing that he might by some means fall into the hands of the Lamanites. Now we come back to the priests of King Noah who had kidnapped the Lamanite girls and created all of this persecution and warfare against the Nephites in the first place. The wicked priests were as bad as the Lamanites because they conducted nighttime raids on the Nephites just to steal food. And he caused that his people should watch the land round about, that by some means they might take those priests that fled into the wilderness who had stolen the daughters of the Lamanites and that had caused such a great destruction to come upon them, for they were desirous to take them that they might punish them. For they had come into the land of Nephi by night, and carried off their grain and many of their precious things. Therefore they laid wait for them. And it came to pass that there was no more disturbance between the Lamanites and the people of Limhi, even until the time that Ammon and his brethren came into the land. 
The Nephites never would have guessed how the arrival of Ammon and his brethren from Zarahemla was going to change everything. The circumstances also help us to understand why King Limhi in the beginning looked upon Ammon and his companions as some of the wicked priests of King Noah and treated them accordingly. And the king, having been without the gates of the city with his guard, discovered Ammon and his brethren, and supposing them to be priests of Noah, therefore he caused that they should be taken, and bound and cast into prison. And had they been the priests of Noah, he would have caused that they should be put to death. But when he found that they were not, but that they were his brethren, and had come from the land of Zarahemla, he was filled with exceeding great joy. Now we discover why King Limhi and the Nephites thought the people of Zarahemla had been completely destroyed. This introduces us to one of the most exciting new developments in Book of Mormon history. Now King Limhi had sent, previous to the coming of Ammon, a small number of men to search for the land of Zarahemla. But they could not find it, and they were lost in the wilderness. Nevertheless, they did find a land which had been peopled, yea, a land which was covered with dry bones, yea, a land which had been peopled and which had been destroyed. And they, having supposed it to be the land of Zarahemla, returned to the land of Nephi, having arrived in the borders of the land not many days before the coming of Ammon. For more details concerning the northern expedition to find Zarahemla, we need to turn back to Mosiah chapter 8, verses 7 to 12. We find that the expedition comprised 43 men who got lost in the mountainous region just north of Lehi-Nephi and ended up by passing Zarahemla altogether. Then they wandered up into the land northward where the Jaredites had destroyed their entire civilization in civil war. The expedition kept going northward, finding vast cities with ruined buildings and total desolation extending over several thousand miles. But finally they reached what must have been the Great Lakes region, and what they called, quote, the land of many waters, unquote, probably referring also to the numerous rivers running up and down the eastern part of North America. Finally, they seem to have located the site for the great last battles of the Jaredites at the hill Ramah or Cumorah, and that is where they found the prophet Ether's 24 gold plates. Ether said he, quote, hid them up, unquote, and that probably means he put them in a protected place. But King Limhi's excursion party had no trouble locating the plates without divine intervention. The only problem with all of this is the incredible distance the 43 men appear to have covered during the, quote, many days, unquote, they were lost in the wilderness. The early brethren fixed the land southward as being South America and the land northward as being North America, with the two being connected by a narrow neck of land, or isthmus, which a Nephite could cross in a single day. Assuming this to be the case, the approximation between the city of Lehi-Nephi in the land southward and the hill Cumorah in the land northward is variously estimated at around 7,000 miles, depending on how far south Lehi-Nephi might have been. In any event, it would have been a fantastic excursion for the 43 men who made this trip. 
But the same thing could be said of the 12,500-mile trip made by Lehi and his family when they traveled halfway round the world to reach America. There have been a multitude of theories by Book of Mormon geographers to make this excursion of Limhi's men seem a little more plausible, but I'm inclined to let the record speak for itself until we receive further light and knowledge on the subject from the Lord. And they brought a record with them, even a record of the people whose bones they had found, and it was engraven on plates of ore. The next four verses reflect the reaction of Ammon and King Limhi as they exchange reports on what had been happening. And now Limhi was again filled with joy in learning from the mouth of Ammon that King Mosiah had a gift from God whereby he could interpret such engravings. Yea, and Ammon also did rejoice. Yet Ammon and his brethren were filled with sorrow because so many of their brethren had been slain, and also that King Noah and his priests had caused the people to commit so many sins and iniquities against God, and they also did mourn for the death of Abinadi, and also for the departure of Alma and the people that went with him, who had formed a church of God through the strength and power of God, and faith on the words which had been spoken by Abinadi. Yea, they did mourn for their departure, for they knew not whither they had fled. Now they would have gladly joined with them, for they themselves had entered into a covenant with God to serve him and keep his commandments. Since the arrival of Ammon and his brethren with the good news from the north, there had obviously been a conversion process going on among King Limhi and his people. And now since the coming of Ammon, King Limhi had also entered into a covenant with God, and also many of his people, to serve him and keep his commandments. And it came to pass that King Limhi and many of his people were desirous to be baptized. But there was none in the land that had authority from God, and Ammon declined doing this thing, considering himself an unworthy servant. Therefore, they did not at that time form themselves into a church, waiting upon the Spirit of the Lord. Now they were desirous to become even as Alma and his brethren, who had fled into the wilderness. They were desirous to be baptized as a witness and a testimony that they were willing to serve God with all their hearts. Nevertheless, they did prolong the time, and an account of their baptism shall be given hereafter. Since the spiritual prospects of the people depended on their getting to Zarahemla, the main topic of concern now was how they might escape from their Lamanite bondage. And now all the study of Ammon and his people, and King Limhi and his people, was to deliver themselves out of the hands of the Lamanites and from bondage. Now, Mosiah chapter 22. From now on, there was only one thing on the minds of the Nephites, and that was how to escape from the Lamanites. And now it came to pass that Ammon and King Limhi began to consult with the people how they should deliver themselves out of bondage. And even they did cause that all the people should gather themselves together. And this they did that they might have the voice of the people concerning the matter. 
and it came to pass that they could find no way to deliver themselves out of bondage, except it were to take their women and children and their flocks and their herds and their tents and depart into the wilderness. For the Lamanites, being so numerous, it was impossible for the people of Limhi to contend with them, thinking to deliver themselves out of bondage by the sword. In this crisis, Gideon, the captain of the king, had a suggestion. Now it came to pass that Gideon went forth and stood before the king and said unto him, Now, O king, thou hast hitherto hearkened unto my words many times when we have been contending with our brethren the Lamanites. And now, O king, if thou hast not found me to be an unprofitable servant, or if thou hast hitherto listened to my words in any degree, and they have been of service to thee, even so I desire that thou wouldst listen to my words at this time, and I will be thy servant and deliver this people out of bondage. And the king granted unto him that he might speak. Now came the plan. This was an anxious moment for the Nephites. Their lives depended on it. Here was Gideon's proposal. And Gideon said unto him, Behold the back pass through the back wall on the back side of the city. The Lamanites, or the guards of the Lamanites, by night are drunken. Therefore let us send a proclamation among all this people, that they gather together their flocks and herds, that they may drive them into the wilderness by night. And I will go according to thy command, and pay the last tribute of wine to the Lamanites, and they will be drunken. And we will pass through the secret pass on the left of their camp, when they are drunken and asleep. Thus we will depart with our women and our children, our flocks and our herds into the wilderness, and we will travel around the land of Shilom. And it came to pass that the king hearkened unto the words of Gideon. The king liked the plan, and so did the people. Now if they could just pull it all off. And King Limhi caused that his people should gather their flocks together. And he sent the tribute of wine to the Lamanites, and he also sent more wine as a present unto them. And they did drink freely of the wine which King Limhi did send unto them. And it came to pass that the people of King Limhi did depart by night into the wilderness with their flocks and their herds. And they went round about the land of Shilom in the wilderness, and bent their course towards the land of Zarahemla, being led by Ammon and his brethren. The people looked upon this flight as the end of their stay in Lehi-Nephi. They therefore tried to take everything with them. Now this part of the story has a happy ending. And they had taken all their gold and silver and their precious things which they could carry, and also their provisions with them into the wilderness, and they pursued their journey. And after being many days in the wilderness, they arrived in the land of Zarahemla, and joined Mosiah's people, and became his subjects. And it came to pass that Mosiah received them with joy, and he also received their records, and also the records which had been found by the people of Limhi. And now it came to pass that when the Lamanites had found that the people of Limhi had departed out of the land by night, that they sent an army into the wilderness to pursue them. But for the Lamanites it was another story. 
They sent out an army to catch the Nephites and bring them back into captivity, but they failed. In fact, after two days, the army didn't know where it was. They were completely confused. This leads us to believe that these high mountains at this particular region probably had a cloud cover. And I've been in those mountains, and I know it's very easy to lose your way if you have a cloud cover and can't figure out where the sun is and what's north and what's south. So this army is in a very interesting position. It's two days out into the mountains and has no idea where they are. And after they had pursued them two days, they could no longer follow their tracks. Therefore, they were lost in the wilderness. Mosiah chapter 23. Now that Mormon the historian has incorporated the plates of Zenith into the Nephite history, he wants to tell us what has happened to Alma and his congregation of fugitive Christians. Now Alma, having been warned of the Lord that the armies of King Noah would come upon them, and having made it known to his people, therefore they gathered together their flocks and took of their grain and departed into the wilderness before the armies of King Noah. And the Lord did strengthen them, that the people of King Noah could not overtake them to destroy them. And they fled eight days' journey into the wilderness. And they came to a land, yea, even a very beautiful and pleasant land, a land of pure water. To have escaped from King Noah and his army was a great achievement. But to be able to take this entire congregation and all of their flocks and provisions into the wilderness for eight days of continuous flight was truly phenomenal. Apparently, Alma felt secure after eight days of travel, and so he had his people unpack and prepare to set up a new home. And they pitched their tents and began to till the ground and began to build buildings. Yea, they were industrious and did labor exceedingly. The people were so grateful to Alma for their successful escape that they wanted to make him their king. And the people were desirous that Alma should be their king, for he was beloved by his people. But he said unto them, Behold, it is not expedient that we should have a king. For thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not esteem one flesh above another, or one man shall not think himself above another. Therefore I say unto you, It is not expedient that ye should have a king. Nevertheless, if it were possible that ye could always have just men to be your kings, it would be well for you to have a king. Alma wanted to plant in the minds of his people an alert suspicion toward kings and their methods of governing the people. But remember the iniquity of King Noah and his priests, and I myself was caught in a snare, and did many things which were abominable in the sight of the Lord, which caused me sore repentance. He describes his own near tragedy under the influence of King Noah. Nevertheless, after much tribulation, the Lord did hear my cries, and did answer my prayers, and has made me an instrument in his hands, in bringing so many of you to a knowledge of his truth. Nevertheless, in this I do not glory, for I am unworthy to glory of myself. 
They also came close to the snares of iniquity set up by the king and his priests. Now I say unto you, Ye have been oppressed by King Noah, and have been in bondage to him and his priests, and have been brought into iniquity by them. Therefore ye were bound with the bands of iniquity. And now, as ye have been delivered by the power of God out of these bonds, yea, even out of the hands of King Noah and his people, and also from the bonds of iniquity, even so I desire that ye should stand fast in this liberty wherewith ye have been made free, and that ye trust no man to be a king over you. Now Alma makes a declaration which was a favorite of President Ezra Taft Benson. He would frequently include in his talks this statement, quote, Stand fast in this liberty wherewith ye have been made free, unquote. Now we come to another favored quotation of Ezra Taft Benson. And also trust no one to be your teacher nor your minister, except he be a man of God, walking in his ways and keeping his commandments. Think how many pitfalls America could have avoided by following this inspired warning from a prophet of God. Notice that it not only applies to our leaders in government, but the teachers and instructors in our schools. Alma set down the righteous principles by which the people should be governed in the church. Thus did Alma teach his people that every man should love his neighbor as himself, that there should be no contention among them. And now Alma was their high priest, he being the founder of their church, and it came to pass that none received authority to preach or to teach except it were by him from God. Therefore he consecrated all their priests and all their teachers, and none were consecrated except they were just men. Therefore they did watch over their people and did nourish them with things pertaining to righteousness. And it came to pass that they began to prosper exceedingly in the land, and they called the land Helam. And it came to pass that they did multiply and prosper exceedingly in the land of Helam. And they built a city, which they call the city of Helam. It seems likely that Alma felt very close to Helam, who was Alma's first convert, or at least the first one to be baptized. It was probably at his suggestion that their new community was named after Helam. The next four verses were written into the record to prepare us for the shock of what unexpectedly happened next. Nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people. Yea, he trieth their patience and their faith. Nevertheless, whosoever putteth his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up at the last day. Yea, and thus it was with this people. For behold, I will show unto you that they were brought into bondage, and none could deliver them but the Lord their God, yea, even the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And it came to pass that he did deliver them, and he did show forth his mighty power unto them, and great were their rejoicings. For behold, it came to pass that while they were in the land of Helam, yea, in the city of Helam, while tilling the land round about, Behold, an army of the Lamanites was in the borders of the land. 
It will be recalled that a previous Lamanite army tried to capture Alma but failed and went home. Now a new army has suddenly appeared and taken over their lovely valley of Helam. Where did this army come from? The record is about to tell us. Now it came to pass that the brethren of Alma fled from their fields and gathered themselves together in the city of Helam, and they were much frightened because of the appearance of the Lamanites. But Alma went forth and stood among them and exhorted them that they should not be frightened, but that they should remember the Lord their God, and he would deliver them. Therefore they hushed their fears and began to cry unto the Lord that he would soften the hearts of the Lamanites, that they would spare them and their wives and their children. And it came to pass that the Lord did soften the hearts of the Lamanites. And Alma and his brethren went forth and delivered themselves up into their hands. And the Lamanites took possession of the land of Helam. We previously heard of this army that pursued Limhi and the Nephites, and that got lost in the wilderness after only two days. Amazingly, they have been lost ever since. However, they had stumbled upon the most hated of all the Nephites, the wicked priests of King Noah, who had kidnapped the Lamanite girls. Now the armies of the Lamanites, which had followed after the people of King Limhi, had been lost in the wilderness for many days. And behold, they had found those priests of King Noah in a place which they called Amulon. And they had begun to possess the land of Amulon, and had begun to till the ground. Now the name of the leader of those priests was Amulon. You would scarcely believe who it was that pleaded with the Lamanites to spare the priests of King Noah. And it came to pass that Amulon did plead with the Lamanites, and he also sent forth their wives, who were the daughters of the Lamanites, to plead with their brethren that they should not destroy their husbands. And the Lamanites had compassion on Amulon and his brethren, and did not destroy them because of their wives. Now we learn an amazing development. The Lamanites had actually found the wicked priests of King Noah. But when their wives pleaded in their behalf, the Lamanites decided to invite the wicked priests and all their families to join them. However, the priests could not help the Lamanites find their way back to Nephi. This seems rather strange because sometime earlier we heard the priests of King Noah were raiding the farms of the Nephites for food. We read about that in Mosiah chapter 21, verses 20 to 21. However, when King Noah was burned alive by the Nephite fathers who had been induced by Noah to forsake their families, it may have frightened the priests so that they moved deeper into the wilderness and accidentally got themselves completely lost. Then came the Lamanite army that accidentally found them. The two bodies united to try and find their way home, and in the process stumbled on to Alma at Helam. And Amulon and his brethren did join the Lamanites, and they were traveling in the wilderness in search of the land of Nephi when they discovered the land of Helam, which was possessed by Alma and his brethren. Now the Lamanites and the band of the wicked priests of King Noah tricked Alma. And it came to pass that the Lamanites promised unto Alma and his brethren that if they would show them the way which led to the land of Nephi, 
that they would grant unto them their lives and their liberty. But after Alma had shown them the way that led to the land of Nephi, the Lamanites would not keep their promise. But they set guards round about the land of Helam, over Alma and his brethren, and the remainder of them went to the land of Nephi. And a part of them returned to the land of Helam, and also brought with them the wives and the children of the guards who had been left in the land. Not only was Alma betrayed by the Lamanites and priests, but the Lamanites put Alma and his people under the rule of Amulon, the leader of the priests who hated Alma most vehemently. And the king of the Lamanites had granted unto Amulon that he should be a king and a ruler over his people, who were in the land of Helam. Nevertheless, he should have no power to do anything contrary to the will of the king of the Lamanites. Mosiah chapter 24. Amulon gained more and more favor with the Lamanites. As a result, Amulon and his brethren began teaching Hebrew to all the Lamanites. What a great blessing that turned out to be when the sons of Mosiah came down to teach the gospel to the Lamanites. And it came to pass that Amulon did gain favor in the eyes of the king of the Lamanites. Therefore the king of the Lamanites granted unto him and his brethren that they should be appointed teachers over his people, yea, even over the people who were in the land of Shemlon, and in the land of Shilom, and in the land of Amulon. For the Lamanites had taken possession of all these lands. Therefore the king of the Lamanites had appointed kings over all these lands. And now the name of the king of the Lamanites was Laman, being called after the name of his father. And therefore he was called King Laman and he was king over a numerous people. And he appointed teachers of the brethren of Amulon in every land which was possessed by his people. And thus the language of Nephi began to be taught among all the people of the Lamanites. Gradually the Lamanites awakened to the fact that they could not only communicate with one another, they could also trade and make a profit, especially among strangers. <laughs> and they were a people friendly one with another. Nevertheless, they knew not God. Neither did the brethren of Amulon teach them anything concerning the Lord their God, neither the law of Moses, nor did they teach them the words of Abinadi. But they taught them that they should keep their record, and that they might write one to another. And thus the Lamanites began to increase in riches, and began to trade one with another and wax great, and began to be a cunning and a wise people as to the wisdom of the world, yea, a very cunning people, delighting in all manner of wickedness and plunder, except it were among their own brethren. About this time Amulon seemed to take great satisfaction from persecuting Alma and his brethren. And now it came to pass that Amulon began to exercise authority over Alma and his brethren, and began to persecute him, and caused that his children should persecute their children. For Amulon knew Alma, that he had been one of the king's priests, and that it was he that believed the words of Abinadi, and was driven out before the king, and therefore he was wroth with him. For he was subject to King Laman, yet he exercised authority over them, and put tasks upon them, and put taskmasters over them. God's people in time of distress call out to God for help. 
This is what the people of Alma did when they could no longer endure the persecution of Amulon. And it came to pass that so great were their afflictions that they began to cry mightily to God. And Amulon commanded them that they should stop their cries, and he put guards over them to watch them, that whosoever should be found calling upon God should be put to death. Notice that the penalty for praying to God was death. This compelled the people to pray in silence from their hearts. And Alma and his people did not raise their voices to the Lord their God, but did pour out their hearts to him, and he did know the thoughts of their hearts. Eventually the people of Alma began to receive individual revelations to comfort them. The Lord made a wonderful covenant with Alma and his people in these secret revelations. And it came to pass that the voice of the Lord came to them in their afflictions, saying, Lift up your heads and be of good comfort, for I know of the covenant which ye have made unto me, and I will covenant with my people and deliver them out of bondage. And I will also ease the burdens which are put upon your shoulders, that even you cannot feel them upon your backs, even while you are in bondage. And this will I do that ye may stand as witnesses for me hereafter, and that ye may know of a surety that I, the Lord God, do visit my people in their afflictions. The promise of the Lord seemed to make the burden of Alma's people lighter, so they could endure their bondage with patience. And now it came to pass that the burdens which were laid upon Alma and his brethren were made light. Yea, the Lord did strengthen them, that they could bear up their burdens with ease, and they did submit cheerfully and with patience to all the will of the Lord. Finally, the Lord reached the deadline which he had in mind for the liberation of Alma's people. All of a sudden, the individual revelations to the people disclosed God's plan, which would go into operation very early the next morning, the very next morning. And it came to pass that so great was their faith and their patience that the voice of the Lord came unto them again, saying, Be of good comfort. For on the morrow I will deliver you out of bondage. And he said unto Alma, Thou shalt go before this people, and I will go with thee, and deliver this people out of bondage. Now it came to pass that Alma and his people in the night time gathered their flocks together, and also of their grain. Yea, even all the night time were they gathering their flocks together. And in the morning the Lord caused a deep sleep to come upon the Lamanites, Yea, and all their taskmasters were in a profound sleep, and Alma and his people departed into the wilderness. And when they had traveled all day, they pitched their tents in a valley, and they called the valley Alma, because he led their way in the wilderness. Notice that Alma and his people traveled one whole day, and then camped in a lovely valley which they named after Alma. They immediately went into a mode of thanksgiving with prayers of grateful praise. Yea, and in the valley of Alma they poured out their thanks to God because he had been merciful unto them and eased their burdens and had delivered them out of bondage, for they were in bondage, and none could deliver them except it were the Lord their God. 
And they gave thanks to God, yea, all their men and all their women and all their children that could speak, lifted their voices in the praises of their God. But suddenly this solemn assembly was interrupted. And now the Lord said unto Alma, Haste thee, and get thou and this people out of this land, for the Lamanites have awakened and do pursue thee. Therefore get thee out of this land, and I will stop the Lamanites in this valley, that they come no further in pursuit of this people. And it came to pass that they departed out of the valley, and took their journey into the wilderness. And after they had been in the wilderness twelve days, they arrived in the land of Zarahemla. And King Mosiah did also receive them with joy. Now we have sufficient data to calculate the time required to cross the terrible terrain just north of Lehi-Nephi. Alma and his people traveled eight days before they settled in the valley of Helam. Later the Lord put the Lamanites to sleep, and after one full day of travel, Alma and his people camped in the valley of Alma. But they did not get to stay there overnight. In a forced march of twelve days, they finally arrived in the land of Zarahemla, and King Mosiah welcomed them with great joy. Based on this specific data, we can calculate that a body of people with their flocks traveled a total of 21 days to reach their goal of crossing the narrow strip of wilderness and coming out into the valley of Sidon or Zarahemla. If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.